0: What's up mommy, it's daddy here. <laughs> there you go, I said it. So while everyone is busy talking about Shiba Inu becoming the next big thing, Bitcoin hitting $60,000 and Squid Game's becoming the most popular show ever, we've got two pressing issues that need to be talked about as soon as possible. One, over the next few days, we could have our first ever Bitcoin ETF finally hitting the market It's potentially driving up the price to $100,000. And two, there's another upcoming issue that most people are sweeping under the rug and that's the fact that we're quickly running out of money and about to default if nothing is done. No, quite literally, the United States only has enough funding to operate through December 3rd, and if the United States can't avoid defaulting on its debt, that could be the next catalyst that triggers the next recession and stock market drop, according to the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. So let's talk about exactly what this means, the impact it could have throughout the entire market, every single detail about the new Bitcoin ETF that keeps pushing prices higher, and then finally, the story you all came for, what people say about Eminem's new restaurant called Mom's Spaghetti. Although before we cover all of this mouthwatering, details, you better lose yourself in the moment to smash the like button for the YouTube algorithm. You only got one shot. Do not miss your chance to give it a quick tap because this opportunity only comes three times a week because that's how often I post. And it also helps me out tremendously. So thank you guys so much. And now with that said, let's begin. So first things first, we got to talk about what's happening with Bitcoin because after quite some time, it's rather unbelievable. Earlier in the day, Bitcoin rallied to nearly $61,000 on the news that maybe the SEC is going to finally allow a new Bitcoin ETF to begin trading in the next few days. And if that happens, it would be a huge moment for the entire cryptocurrency market in terms of broader, more widespread acceptance throughout investors. This all started about a day ago when a Bloomberg article claimed that the SEC is poised to allow the first U.S. Bitcoin futures exchange traded fund to begin trading, according to people familiar with the matter. Why is this such a big deal? Well, throughout the last five years, every single request to formalize a cryptocurrency related fund that would trade openly on the market for anyone to buy and sell has been denied time and time again. Every Everyone from the Winklevoss twins, Bitwise, ProShares, and a multitude of others have been shut down at every single request. But now in the next few days, a Bitcoin ETF could finally begin trading and that's what investors are banking on while pushing the price above $60,000. Now when it comes to this news, it's important to clarify that right now it's not going to be your typical Bitcoin ETF per se, but instead it's going to be a futures contract for Bitcoin which is slightly different and deserves to be explained. In the case of a normal Bitcoin ETF, you buy into a fund that directly owns Bitcoin and In return, you receive shares of Bitcoin on the open market, but that's not what's happening here. Instead, this fund is referred to as a futures contract, which means instead of buying into a fund that directly goes and buys Bitcoin, you're buying into a fund that enters a contract to buy Bitcoin at a certain price in the future. So this fund doesn't technically own any Bitcoin yet, but they have a contract to buy it in the future, at which point the contract changes value depending on whether or not the price of Bitcoin goes up or down. And most likely, this is not something that retail investors are going to be buying into, but it does provide the first stepping stone for institutional investors to dip their toes in Bitcoin and move in the direction of eventually allowing a full-on traditional Bitcoin ETF. Now, there is always a chance that the SEC blocks this ETF from happening at the very last minute, and if that happens, obviously it's going to be negative for the cryptocurrency market. But if it's allowed to trade, it's going to help bring more widespread adoption throughout cryptocurrency. And over time, some even say that $100,000 would be a conservative price target for the future. Oh, and by the way, somewhat off topic here, but I heard a rumor that she, inu might possibly maybe be available for trading soon at public.com gram. So feel free to use my link down below in the description so you're ready for that maybe to possibly soon happen. And even though I can't confirm 100%, it never hurts, and you'll get a free stock worth all the way up to $1,000 at the exact same time. But regardless of that, one thing is for sure. It seems like more and more people are swapping out old-school bonds for Bitcoin. And Bloomberg reported that just a 5% allocation to Bitcoin would have given you 1.7 times more profit overall than going with a standard mix of stocks and bonds alone. That's at the same time that Bank of America finally admits that Bitcoin is too large to ignore and that our view is that there should be more opportunity than skeptics expect. Now, even though China did come out again and ban Bitcoin again, Bank of America argues that regulation is a good thing. Once rules are established, the uncertainty over how to invest in crypto will be lifted. We also have a predictive pattern called the stock-to-flow model, which so far has reasonably predicted the pace of Bitcoin's price since 2012. And now those patterns suggest that we could see a price run-up up as high as $80,000 by the end of the year. Now, of course, only time is going to tell how that plays out. But for myself, I've been buying both Bitcoin and Ethereum consistently since January of this year. And now I'm about to finally reach a 5% allocation throughout my entire portfolio. My plan was just to buy it on a regular basis, just like I would the S P 500. And then I go and move it over to blockbuy.com gram, because at least they're paying me a slight interest rate, whereas otherwise I would be earning nothing. For anybody interested in doing that, by the way, I'll leave a link down below in the description where you could get up to $250 at the free Bitcoin for signing up. It's what I use and I've been extremely happy with them so far, but I think at this point it's quite obvious that Bitcoin has really cemented itself as an asset class and being used by both people and businesses as a hedge against inflation and store of value. I personally wouldn't go all in, but for myself it seems like 5% is a sweet spot. And perhaps I could take that up to 10% if I'm feeling adventurous down the line. But beyond that, even though a Bitcoin ETF would be tremendous for the cryptocurrency market, the rest of the stock market is still at the whims of the December 3rd deadline as the U.S. quickly runs out of money. And to understand what's going on, we need to talk about the term the debt ceiling, which sounds like Dave Ramsey's worst nightmare. Anyway, this is the maximum amount of money that the U.S. government is allowed to borrow to pay for all of its obligations, like Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries, interest on the national debt, tax refunds, and a multitude of other adult responsibilities that need to be taken care of. But once that limit is reached, well, then all of those services can't be funded. And it's kind of like a global Facebook shutdown, except throughout the entire country and much, much worse. The usual go-to question at this point would be, Well then, what's the point of having a debt ceiling to begin with? And isn't that kind of stupid? Because the government just knows they're going to continually need to spend even more money. Well then, I see I'm asking myself the important questions here. And yes, there is a reason this exists. Now, prior to 1917, Congress was directly in control of authorizing all government spending. So if there was a war, infrastructure, or any other investment the U.S. needed to make, they would vote on each measure accordingly and then allocate a budget to every item. But to provide slightly more flexibility throughout World War I, Congress created what's called the Second Liberty Bond Act, which established a ceiling in terms of how many new bonds could be issued and how much money could be spent. In a way, this is almost like they went from spending on a case-by-case basis to using a credit card where they had free range to spend up until the preset limit. Now, that also means that when they work on a credit-like system, they also get a credit score that tells other countries how likely they are to repay their debts anytime they're loaned money. It's almost exactly like a person having a perfect 800 credit score and getting the lowest interest rates anytime they borrow money. Except the USA has what's called the AAA rating, meaning they're the safest country to loan money to because they've always paid back their debts on time, as agreed. But as good as that sounds, throughout history, there was a slight problem. The government keeps spending more and more and more money. So over time, Congress must agree on a new debt ceiling to hold this over a little bit longer until eventually they have to do that again. And that, of course, brings us to today. Under the last review, the credit agency Fitch downgraded the USA's outlook to negative in response to ongoing risks to public finances and debt trajectory, meaning it's really no different than someone with a perfect credit score getting too close to their debt limit and risking the chance of falling behind because they're spending too much money, and that's kind of what's happening here. As of now, the United States already hit its debt limit as of July at $28.4 trillion, and for the last three months, they've resorted to what they call extraordinary measures to cover the deficit, including borrowing less from state and local governments and temporarily halting reinvestment back into our economy. But that can only last for so long until a new debt ceiling needs to be agreed on. And even though the U.S. was able to temporarily fund the government through December, the U.S. risks defaulting on their payments, losing their perfect credit rating, and potentially sending the U.S. back into a recession, as noted by Janet Yellen. Now, even though the U.S. never has defaulted on their debt, in 2011, the S&P credit reporting agency downgraded them from AAA down to AA+. And several other agencies also issued a negative outlook as the debt crisis continued to get worse. Now, immediately, following that announcement, all three stock indexes were down between 5 and 7% in the day. So now the concern is that since the United States has the highest debt of any AAA-rated nation, they run the risk of getting too close to another shutdown, not paying their debts as agreed, and losing their perfect credit score rating, which caused the stock markets to panic and sell down like they did back in 2011. But in terms of how this is going to impact you, the economy, and the stock market, here's what you need to know based on the last 100 years of data. First, it's important to mention that a government shutdown is not exactly anything new, and the debt ceiling has been an ongoing argument for, uh, let's see, 100 years. Yeah, no joke, the debt ceiling has already been raised 98 times since 1917. But that doesn't mean a government shutdown is not going to have an impact throughout the market, and in the case of a black swan event where the U.S. misses a payment, the fallout from a lower credit reporting would absolutely send a ripple effect throughout the entire market, and would make it much more expensive for the government to borrow money because they're no longer seen as risk-free. Moody's was even quoted as saying that in a prolonged default scenario, some 6 million jobs would be lost, driving the unemployment rate up to 9%. In the short term, interest rates would spike, and in the long term, they would never fall back to pre-default lows. It would be no different than somebody having 100 years of a perfect credit score and being regarded as the safest borrower in the world, and then... Oops, accidentally missed a payment. Now that score is no longer perfect, and there's forever a stain on that report for everybody to see. But over that same time, we have two scenarios to cover. The first would be a government shutdown, which occurs when Congress cannot agree on how to spend future bills. And the second would be a failure to increase the debt ceiling, which would result in the US defaulting on its debt. Now even though both of them are bad, historically, every single time we've had a government shutdown, the stock market is completely mixed. For example, the worst government shutdown drop occurred in the 1970s, with stocks down almost 4%, but in late 2018, when the government was shut down for over a month, the markets rallied over 10%. So from that perspective, it doesn't really matter. Now, the debt ceiling, on the other hand, is what we have to pay attention to. Now, when the prior debt ceiling standoff, which resulted in a lower credit rating, caused the stock market to drop almost 20% in total until the resolution was drawn. Then from 1995 to 96, the S&P 500 dropped about 4%, 2013 saw another 6% drop, and over the last 10 years, we could see that there's typically short-term hesitation in the markets, until eventually it's raised and then the stock market goes up right alongside with it. The reality is, in the short term, we could continue to see some panic in the markets as it tries to price in a slim, slim chance of a government defaulting on its debt. But we could also see that historically, even in 2011, the markets eventually recover. And any short-term drop could wind up being a great opportunity to buy in at an even lower price. But speaking of even lower, Vanguard just came out with an updated market forecast warning that investment returns could be as low as 3.2% throughout the next decade if you're invested in a mix of stocks and bonds. As they say, our forecasts today tell us that investors should not expect the next decade to look like the last, and they'll need to plan strategically to overcome a low-return environment. Or in other words, they're basically just trying to say, Listen, we've seen some pretty big tendies print over the last decade, and just brace yourself that we might not see a lot of money being thrown around, and investing might be kind of boring for a while. Now, Charles Schwab also seconds this by saying that market returns on stocks and bonds over the next decade are expected to fall short of historical averages according to the 2021 estimates. And that now might be a good time for investors to review and consider resetting long-term financial goals to ensure that they are based on projections grounded in disciplined methodology rather than on historical averages. Which is really just financial speak for plan for the worst. See, here's what they found. Throughout the last 120 years, the real returns for the stock market, which is really just a fancy way of saying after taxes and adjusted for inflation, comes to an average of 5% a year on stocks and 3.6% on bonds. From there, they look at the current spread between the completely risk-free return that you could get buying treasury bills, which as of right now is negative half a percent after taxes and inflation, and the premium of three and a half percent for investing in the stock market. That gives them an annualized net return of just three percent a year in the stock market, and it's even worse at two percent if you hold 30 percent bonds. LPL Financial also published similar findings when they analyzed the returns of the bull market in the first, second, and third year. And they found that the first year's returns were almost always the largest, at a rate of anywhere from 20 to 65% from the market bottom. Then, with the exception of 1987, the second year was almost always smaller with a return of anywhere between 10 and 25%. But throughout the second year, they found that it was often prone to a pullback, usually on average of about 10%. Now, of course, others disagree with this, like Goldman Sachs, who says in the short term, we could see another 9% rally throughout the rest of the year. Oh, and then finally, the story I know you all wanna hear. Eminem just recently opened up his own restaurant in Detroit called Mom's Spaghetti. But he also issued some, uh, choice words in terms of how you should eat the spaghetti. I'm gonna be as family-friendly as possible when I say this, but as he says, Don't even eat a bite of your spaghetti until you put it in the bread, because otherwise you're going to ruin the whole effin' thing. Don't be stupid. If I effin' catch you doing that without the effin' bread, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I guess you could say he's really dishing it out. (sighs) Okay, forget I said that. I was just feeling a little saucy. Never mind. So with that said, you guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Make sure to destroy the like button, subscribe button, and notification bell. Feel free to add me on Instagram and on my second channel, the Graham Stephan Show. I post there every single day. I'm not posting here, so if you want to see a brand new video from me every single day, make sure to add yourself to that. Also, make sure to add yourself to the Hungry Bull app down below in the description to track all of your stocks. It's a new app that I just started up with Jeremy Financial Education. And while you're at it, make sure to get your free stock down below in the description when you sign up for Public using the code Graham because. That stock is worth all the way up to $1,000 and I'm posting all my own stock trades on there. So if you wanna be a part of it, get your free stock down below in the description. Let me know which one you get. Thank you so much for watching and until next time.